Welcome to Discussions of Music, Healing, and Consciousness with your hosts, Chris Noble and Bill Protzman. On this podcast, Chris and I offer a spontaneous, ongoing conversation about how music is intertwined with healing and consciousness. Our first season helped lay the foundation and build some of the superstructure for what we want to do here in Season 2, where we'll be welcoming some intriguing guests, going deeper into ancient mysteries and wisdom, and cultivating your background knowledge and curiosity. We hope these discussions will inspire your own study and practice of the musical and healing arts, and that your contribution to advancing world consciousness will be satisfying for you and transformative to those around you. Let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Discussions of Music, Healing, and Consciousness with your hosts, myself, Chris Noble, and Bill Protzman. Good morning. Today, we are super excited to have a good friend of mine and a fellow, you know, a fellow uh, curious mind, let's say, in the realms of consciousness and music and healing and all the modalities that we'd love to talk about on the show. We're so pleased today to be joined by Dr. Haley Fox. Haley, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm so happy you led with a very good friend of mine, because that's how I see you too, first and foremost. And it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. And it's it really is an honor. You know, I, I uh, for those listening and watching, I was so fortunate to have met Haley on a, a very serendipitous trip to South Africa many moons ago. Um, time these days really gets slippery with me. I think it was back in 2017 when we connected in... Oh, it was 2018. Yeah, thank you. So we we connected in South Africa on a really fascinating um, trip, but I would like to call it almost an expedition, uh, where there was about 12 of us curious minds where we congregated down in South Africa uh, around the work of um, a gentleman named Michael Tellinger, who does fascinating research into the ancient civilizations and ancient history of South Africa. But in this, this connection and in this uh, two-week expedition, um, Haley and myself connected through music because we're both lovers of the arts and music. And Haley brought with her a beautiful, I believe it was a, a wooden ceremonial flute, was it not, Haley? Yes, it was. Um, and I'm trying to remember the the wood it was made of from the northwest, um, very sacred to um, Indian tribes. And sure, these... Madrone. I I just watched the interview. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was fascinated by that, of course, Madrone Wood. Yes, that's right. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, so with this beautiful flute, Haley was able to play at some of these sacred sites that we were visiting throughout the two weeks we were in South Africa. And what we're going to get into today is what happened when she was playing her beautiful music in, in, in a very inspired way, an improvised way at these sacred sites. And I can attest, of course, to my own experience, but we're going to hear also from Haley what she experienced there. And then we're just going to evolve the conversation into uh, what Haley does, which is uh, she works as an art therapist and many, many other modalities. And so before we get into these stories of, of the magical and mystical times we experienced in South Africa, Haley, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, you know, what led you into your path where you are today and your love for music, arts, and how they all coalesce together in a, in a healing kind of way. Yes, thanks for asking that. Um, I'm not often asked that. People often look at the credentials behind my name and um, I don't know, wonder how I got there. But honestly, I feel like I was born with this uh, connection to all the arts, as well as a fierce reluctance to limit myself to any one art form. And that doesn't fit very well in today's times. You know, people um, are encouraged to choose one, even when it comes to the healing arts, be an art therapist or be a music therapist or be a dance movement therapist. And um, I uh, refused to do that. I, I did actually start out in a music therapy program. Uh, it lasted about a year and it was just too restricting for me. So I ended up going into this kind of design your own major program at the Para College at St. Olaf College. And what really felt like it was possible to integrate all, to, all the arts into healing modalities, even if um, um, oh, so long as you're grounded in a theoretical orientation, which I felt like was emerging for me. Um, so I thought I invented it. And then lo and behold, I discovered there were programs um, in a couple of different places around the United States at that time on 
integrating the arts into healing. Expressive arts therapy is the general term that that's called right now. Uh, so that there wasn't a credential for that initially. It was kind of, even though it's very ancient in some ways, brand new on the Western front. Uh, so I got my board certification in art therapy and music therapy and some other different credentials. But I think it's it's fairest to say I'm integrative in my approach, uh, grounded. My theoretical orientation is grounded primarily in uh, archetypal psychology, which would be sort of a neo-Jungian approach, a.k.a. James Hillman, uh, where that really elevates the image, the autonomy of images, sees images as multimodal. And uh, uh, yeah, so that's led me down this interesting career. Um, and most recently, I added another credential too, which is uh, um, a certification in psychedelic assisted therapies, which I think fit right into what I, I was already studying. Uh, so done a lot of things, do a lot of things now. I do some individual therapy, um, a lot of remote therapy, uh, some teaching, particularly research, arts-based research, uh, and uh, writing and you know, developing content. I like a lot of variety. I love that. And, you know, we'll get into how you incorporate all of those into your unique, you know, therapy practice, because I do want to hear about that. There's been some things you've told me throughout our, our friendship that have always stuck with me, and I want our audience to experience that. But before I do want to talk about this, this journey to South Africa, and before we get to the continent itself, you know, what made you think, oh, I'm going on this, this kind of expedition, to uh, meet this researcher who's, you know, obviously showing information that most people haven't seen about the ancient civilizations of South Africa. What made you think, I, I got to bring my ceremonial flute with me? <laughs> yeah, you know, what drew me really was, I was, I'm very much interested in arts-based research in particular, and that's what drew me to the expedition. It was billed as a research expedition, um, and people were given the freedom to kind of study whatever you want when you get here. And some people just, you know, not just, but came to kind of engage in the digs and see what they might discover and that sort of thing. But I really wanted to examine and um, uh, apply myself to connecting with these ancient artifacts and ancient spaces and reflecting upon how ancient human experience might resonate with current human experience? What is it about the human experience that benefits from these sacred spaces and how does that work? And I really felt like one of the tools of my trade is music. And so um, the, the easiest, most mobile uh, instrument I could think of bringing was my ceremonial flute. So I threw that along with me. And, Actually, you know, I brought my guitar too, but <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, and uh, Bill and myself, as the audience knows, we're both piano players and we can, Billy, I know you can attest to this uh, piano, not as good for traveling. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's fantastic. So, you know, the flute came with you, your guitar came with you. And then we went to several sites. I remember, I think it was either our first or second day. I remember you started playing the flute. I have video footage of that. It was a beautiful sunset day. Um, it was absolutely stunning. When I first heard you play, it was quite moving, but something happened about a week or so later, we went to a very um, sacred and uh, relatively famous site, if you follow the work of Michael Tellinger, which is Adam's Calendar. And Adam's Calendar is almost like a miniature and far older Stonehenge for those of you um, audience members. And, you know, what I experienced there is the second you walk into the stone circle enclosure is it feels like your ears get covered by your by your hands that muffled sound it's almost like you walk into an invisible dome of energy and that might sound crazy but all of us were chit-chatting before we were walking 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 and all of a sudden we go into the stone circle everyone's quiet we didn't say we had to be quiet it just naturally happened and then we all went about our individual little journeys and you know Haley you, I know, started to, we all were going through our own thing. It was very interesting. Everyone had their own unique experience. And at some point, because time kind of started to get lost at that, at, at, in this experience, at some point you started to play your flute and everyone had an elevated experience after that. What, what made you feel like you needed to play? And I know it's sometimes hard to put words to this, but what were you experiencing while you were playing that flute? 
Yes, that's that's a very good question. And I think it's an important one because we live in a society now where um, music is associated with performance, meaning like a performative activity. And that's not how I view it at all. In fact, I, I have to say I'm a painful introvert. I have all kinds of baggage about not wanting to impose myself on other people's spaces and so on. So that nothing about that was about, oh, I'm going to bring my flute and perform for people and see if I get applause. That that wasn't it at all. And uh, But I did feel initially, I didn't feel I needed to play my flute, but I did feel like I needed to bring it with me. So it was kind of an intuitive thing. Uh, better bring your flute today. So I just stuck it in and trusted that if I needed to have it, the time would arise when I needed to pull it out. So I came in like everyone else did, really, just sort of sensing, as you said, the the, the vibrational impact of this space. And at some point, I got this sort of internal push. Okay, now pull out your flute. <laughs> it's time. And um, and so I did. It was more of like uh, responding to um, that internal pull and um, kind of. Uh, giving the space what was required of me, what I had to offer that space, and um, quite intuitive in a way. And honestly, I don't even I don't even remember what I played. You know, I just kind of, I pulled it out. I just my my focus is on sensing the environment, and uh, you know, sometimes musicians who are improvisers probably can relate to this. There's this sort of sense of playing the room, you know, kind of picking up on whatever exists there and looking for resonance with that and allowing whatever needs to come forward to come forward. Uh, and it was it was powerful for me, too. Uh, and I think partly because of that, because I saw people in deeply in their own experiences and I didn't want to intrude in any way you know I get sometimes ego gets in the way in in different ways and um but this pull was so strong that I decided I would trust it and follow it and let the chips fall where they may and uh and didn't stop actually until I got another pull to okay you can back away now and stop playing now you know for those listening and, and watching I um my experience during this was you know, I was already having a pretty profound, uh, almost like a spiritual communication in this meditation that I was in. And then I hear Haley's flute. And it's like, it brought a coherence uh, into my situation, to my experience, that, you know, the English language, especially, it really fails at describing these, um, these experiences that are almost ineffable in a lot of ways. However, what I experienced was that it almost focused in it, it felt like it focused in my um, my experience and my communication that I was having on a spiritual level, and it and it heightened and it um, made things even clearer. And then it brought on a lot of emotion. It brought in lots of just lots of things that came through after that. But your music really took it, took my experience from one place and then it brought it to another. And I know that it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for your music. So my question is. You know how how has that maybe influenced your now newer study with with psychedelics and bringing in the arts and music? Because as anyone who's experienced psychedelics and Bill has done so many wonderful uh, workshops and conferences that deal specifically with the psychedelic you know approach to uh, to healing and to therapy, um, anyone that's had these experiences knows that it is always heightened when you have music incorporated and it's so it's almost essential to incorporate it there so did you do you find any of that um experience that you had in south africa has influenced some of the approach to psychedelic and is it similar where you're kind of just reading the room when you're doing it yeah you know i i have to say i haven't dipped my toe too often into those settings yet it's it's really been i just concluded an intensive year of study in october but i'll reflect on you know some of the things i observed there is there's no doubt people recognize the power of music in those spaces and always it's included and there's quite a bit of time and attention that's been given to given to curating soundtracks and things that can really assist people in their experiences. Uh, and that's all well and good. And it all contributes to the field. What I felt has been missing that I think I would love to see people explore more is live music, 
it is actually people being in the room in those spaces and not simply putting out there a soundtrack that, you know, has this characteristic build up and then peak and then coming down again, you know, that all makes sense, but someone who can just really sense it. And, and I, my, my imagination <laughs> tells me that um, this would further enhance the experience and also kind of, you know, sometimes people have music uh, in uh, say example, academic experience there's often recorded music there and they might at different times say oh i gotta take off the headphones this particular music is not enhancing my experience at all um and then they might continue their experience um and i think it's because there's no human connection there so it's a it's an area i think deserves more exploration and more talent honestly um most of the people engaged in these classes with me were really skilled therapists and not necessarily also musicians. So it's too much to expect that someone would bring all that to the table. Uh, but there's got to be a way that we can um, maybe in collaborative arrangements, bring in very sensitive musicians to assist with that experience. And I think that could just have very, um, um, you know, much more impact. Um, you know, I, I, I will say I have been in some psychedelic experiences myself where I do think that did happen, where in some of the more traditional ceremonies, you find shamans who are themselves musicians, who really do sense, I think, and bring into the experience um, th th even very specific things to enhance. I've, I've seen shamans kind of go around and check in individually an intuitive way with each member of the ceremony and give those individuals what they needed at a given time. So, um, but that's more in, you know, the, the ancient indigenous, indigenous practices, not so much in more modern clinical approaches to using psychedelic medicines. Yeah. And for some reason, I'm not completely surprised by that. Yes. Um, <laughs> because, you know, in a lot of ways, we're in the Western medicine sphere, and I'm, I'm a musician, so I can't obviously speak as, a, as an expert on this, but certainly from what I've observed, is that we're rediscovering a lot of things that uh, we already knew. And cer certainly a lot of these indigenous and na uh, native um, uh, tribes all around the world uh, know very, very well, probably know for thousands of years. And you're absolutely right, you know, they incorporate drumming and singing and many other forms of music that are all live, all channeled, all improvised. And that's, it's just an accepted uh, fact that that is going to happen when you're doing things like ayahuasca and other, you know, peyote, other, other, um, again, ancient plant medicines. So, you know, moving from the psychedelic realm for a second, I wanted to touch on something that I've always, I love what you said at the beginning. And it's something that I always try to encourage people to, which is this, this, there's a, with people who aren't musicians, which is most of the most of the world that would say consider themselves not a trained professional musician, there's so much benefit to just playing music, to just letting it out and not having to have this, oh, well, I didn't train and I didn't, you know, study at all, so I can't do it. You know, what have you had any experiences with um your your patients or clients or just people in your life where you've encouraged them to take on music in some way, or let's say art in general in some way. And have you seen, you know, any benefits that have come from them just to express themselves through that modality? Yes. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you brought, brought that up because, you know, I, I guess I'd like to go back and change what I said and say, we're all musicians and we're all artists. It's part of the human experience. Um, there's been a kind of elitism that has moved into our modern culture um, that has led people to shy away from their own personal expression uh, because they feel like they're not good enough or I'm not an artist and so on. So often those barriers need to be broken down in a therapeutic situation. Don't find them so much with young children. Um, even sometimes, you know, individuals who have um, uh, developmental disabilities and things, there, there's certain people who, are, who find easy access to that personal expression. In some ways, formally trained artists are the hardest nuts to crack sometimes because they get so concerned about, um, am I doing it right? Did I miss that? you know, whatever in what I was playing. So um, I think that music is primal and and generating sound and movement and art making and so forth. And it's so important for our um, human 
experience for to, to for growing for being seen for connecting with other people and so on so one one of the strategies i use is i often like to play around with open tuning in instruments so that someone no, no matter what they play on um, a hand pan for example or an open tuned guitar it's going to sound resonant to them um, and so people can really let themselves loose with that um, so there, there are strategies you can use. Uh, and um, yeah, I think uh, it's all about play and it's about all about connecting with your humanity. And um, I think there's something to be gained for all people to find a form of expression they really resonate with, like where they can, you know, get their feelings out. You mentioned the word ineffable. And, and I've been thinking a lot about that word, ineffable experience. It's something that's a lot of people in the psychedelic field are thinking about that, you know, when people have a mystical experience, um, they might want to integrate it, but often it's ineffable. It's not something that's easy to put into words. Um, that's why the arts exist, I think, is to help us give expression to the ineffable. And that's not only an issue in psychedelic experience, it's an issue in all human experience. You know, lots of our experiences are ineffable. Uh, so uh, let's, you know, paint it or dance it or um, create some, you know, use our voice to express that thing. And other people can more deeply understand what you mean through those expressions sometimes than any awkward words you try to use to describe it. That's absolutely beautifully said. I couldn't agree more. And uh, it reminds me of one of my friends uh, in my 20s when he was introducing me to some different psychedelics and he would describe the effects without words. He would say, well, this one's more like a, ooh, and then this one's more like a, oh, <laughs> kind of an effect. And honestly, we we would always laugh at that, but I got to say to this day, he described it the best than anyone else who uses words because it was the sounds that he just created with his own voice uh, that that honestly explained the ineffable and that you're absolutely right. I think that's brilliant. The arts are absolutely, and certainly in one aspect and one major aspect to, to try to bring, to bridge the gap from the ineffable to the tangible and what a what a what a brilliant way to uh, to do that through any arts and you know one a thing that you've told me I think many years ago now it stuck with me which was you know you, when you're doing art therapy uh, you when you're someone's expressing themselves through art even if they think they're trying to be clever with something and 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 skirt around the question or the issue you can't really lie through art you can't there's parts there's always something an essence of your soul and your 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 being that comes through in any art form expression and for yourself as the as an art therapist how have you seen that transpire and, and how does that how do you work with that in your own practice yeah i think the key there is that you're tapping into realities beyond your small ego existence <laughs> you know when when you open yourself to the arts so you know, I can, when I'm stuck in this material realm with my um, limited language and um, all of the baggage I have about things I'm insecure about and so on, I can lie a blue streak, you know, I can, it, using my, using my words. Um, and uh, sometimes you're very convincing about it. Um, and, but that's, there's no need for, to lie when you're tapped into sort of the divine within because there's no insecurities there and so on and that divine um essence that transcendent i that you know the witness of all for example um has a kind of an, an intention of its own it really wants to come through us wants to influence us wants expression and so um and it's so deep and um connected to who we are that you're not going to be able to stop it from coming through. And so I think one of the experiences, um, if I can just say it very briefly, I, I, um, that is a good illustration of that is I remember um, doing an interview once with an Israeli artist who had these amazing paintings of, 
you know, a single fruit in the middle of a stark background, um, a peach and um, an avocado and other kinds of things that she would paint. And then she had a breakthrough in her art where um, she got really angry at one point and just started painting in crazy ways and saw, you know, all of a sudden these images of female genitalia come out. But when she reflected, she said, you know what, it was the same image all the time. You know, I see it in the avocado, I see it in the peach. And now it's like much more raw and uh, accessible. And yet it was still trying to come out. Yeah. I've been busy producing here and taking notes and stuff. And I'm, I'm hearing something interesting as this goes by, which is in your experience. So how important are all the credentials when you weigh them against the, the actual experience? Like you just mentioned, this amazing artist who had a breakthrough. You know, uh, credentials themselves, I, I don't put a lot of stock in those. I do think, though, however, there is great value, at least I value, the education and the training I received that led to these credentials. And um, there's something, you know, particularly as a therapist uh, in modern society, uh, let me give this example. I did a I did um, an exhibit at one point. I curated an exhibit for um, the Minnesota Sex Offender Program. These were all sexually violent predators who were civilly committed because um, post prison settings who were in treatment to try to um, address their sexually um, offending behaviors. And I incorporated lots of art therapy in the program that we did. I was clinical director at that time. And I had the job of curating an exhibit of their artwork. The space I, I used had two separate areas and um, I had to decide like, well, how am I gonna divide up all this artwork into these two areas? And I decided to do it this way. I said, okay, so for I'm gonna let uh, sort of the art as therapy, the people who just kind of independently did art, We'll put that all in this room. And the other room we'll use specifically for art that was created in the context of a therapeutic relationship with a credentialed art therapist. And, and I didn't really, it was kind of arbitrary, but walking around, I saw really, uh, there was a great difference between those two spaces. And in the, the art as therapy, the kind of independently created art, I saw beautiful art, wonderfully executed and so and so forth, but more like the kind of art from that Israeli therapist, that, I mean, it was really artist, um, that was a little more um, um, distanced from the images that wanted to come forward. And the other space was just much more raw and uh, revealing and, um, primal in some ways. And you could almost tell, oh yeah, this person's gone to some pretty deep places and done some deep work in this space. Uh, I think that's, there's something about having, uh, and I would say all our educational systems are good at this. I, I had the privilege of going through some really valuable training and, and good training where um, I re, you know, had to deeply look at my own stuff and we did you know, group, um, group work that was really powerful and so forth. But with really good training, you learn how to contain and hold space for all kinds of difficult emotions and experiences and so forth. And that's that ability, which I think shamans also have, is essential to people feeling safe coming up with their stuff in the space. So there might be two avenues to it, but some kind of deep, um, exhaustive, self-reflective training is required, I think, to do this work really well. Um, and some training programs, not many, you know, I, my personal biases, I don't always see it in KCREP programs, <laughs> I have to say. And that has to do with, you know, the requirements, the bureaucracy and so forth. But if you have the privilege of getting some really good training, it can really make a difference. And also, you know, then it, it gives you also that capacity to deal with crisis that might emerge, be able to identify when someone's really um, in need of a higher level of intervention and so on. You don't necessarily have that as a lay person off the street. So um, yeah, that's kind of a both and answer, I guess, in a way. Well, and it makes sense to me. It's it's experience. You you need to experience a lot of this yourself in order to, of course, be able to hold that space and and then also understand when your patients and and uh, people are 
doing what they're doing through the art and being able to interpret that it makes it makes ton of sense right rather than just learning the theories and the ideas of how to be a therapist it's like well you got to do the work yourself right That's and a big, so yeah. right and 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 kudos to you for doing all that because it's obviously you know it's obviously showing up in the impact that i just had when we experienced that in south africa was was case and you know proof enough for me um, to kind of conclude things here, I would love to maybe ask you if we could give our audience some some simple little takeaways today for like we touched on before, you know, how you like to offer open tuning of a guitar or get someone to play the handpan. These these little things that we can we can help uh, we can invite non musicians, which is ninety nine percent of every the world, to 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 incorporate into their day to day life that can that can add some you know, some, some beauty, but also some expression. And honestly, for me, it's always like, I feel like a weight is lifted off me after I've played my piano. Like I could feel a physical lightness to my day after playing an instrument, uh, playing music or expressing myself through visual art. Or honestly, I'm really getting and falling in love with dance more and more these days. I love just doing a silly little dance in the kitchen in the morning. Mm -hmm. Anything like that you want to uh, part onto our audience before we conclude? Yeah, I think one of the most important takeaways, and I wish I'd said it sooner, is that the art is the therapist at the end of the day. And that's why, you know, art therapists don't own art, music therapists don't own music. It's accessible and available to everyone. So uh, I would encourage just a kind of a playful attitude. To, and if you're drawn to something, then go with it. And, um, you know, you can play on your own, you can play with other people, um, but just experiment and open a door so that art can enter into your experience and trust that it's going to bring you something special, something valuable, something that, that's really going to enrich your life. Uh, so yeah, but that attitude of playfulness, I do think that it's, um, particularly for people who are, uh, you know, suffering in some ways or feeling constrained or so forth, it's good to do it on a regular basis, you know, and so having like a, a daily practice or an, a daily um, drawing journal or something, a place to sort of, um, one thing you can do is try to remember your dreams and capture some of the images that come up in there. And then spend some time attending to those images. The images that come in your dreams, you can work with precisely in the same way as the images that come through your art. And there's sort of an interaction there. So open yourself to some, you know, whatever's in that transcendent realm that means the, you know, means well for you that wants to come into your life. Just allow that with, and, and uh, engage with kind of a curiosity and a beginner's mind and, um, you know, enter into dialogue with those images. Hey, that's pretty interesting that you came. Um, how can we, you know, how can we get to know each other even better? You know, and maybe um, maybe an image that comes into a piece of art or something uh, wants to be uh, put into three dimensions. And so you get a lump of clay and you try to render it that way. And maybe there's a song in it and you try to render it that way. And every rendering deepens those images and, um, and gives them more space and room to sort of continue to reveal themselves and uh and be part of your life as i've been starting to do some more dance i've been playing a lot getting really into djing and dance music and because i have no training with dance it's it's almost easier for me to lose like i lose myself in music i i always do but there's always a sometimes an end goal where i'm like oh that was cool that can turn that into a song and then i gotta record that and then i gotta do this and that and that with dance there's no uh end goal right so i find like those 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 are becoming almost my new favorite art forms because there's no professional twist to it you know what i mean right and yet there, it can be so cathartic and it's just so good in so many levels um and you know i think also it, it doesn't escape me that um in ancient times I, I know there's probably history that's not even been recorded prior to that but in our earliest recorded history uh there wasn't the same distinctions between the art forms that we have now and so people performing music were also moving and right you know, it was all in, so integrated. And part of, I think, what's detached us from that expression is we've siloed and um, 
just constrained or I mean you can see people sometimes singing an aria and they're not even moving you know it's just this the song sound coming out of their voice um <laughs> well yeah I think we kind of need to just loosen up and I know that yeah just, yeah we're gonna be a little tight asses sometimes yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful thank you so much for sharing that and and thank you for coming on to our podcast today. We really appreciate it. Um, before we, we have you sign off here, uh, is there, I know you have some books um, that people can certainly look into. Is there anything you'd like to leave for the audience to follow up on your work or anything of that nature? Uh, you know, I guess I could just leave my my website. It's uh, www.aw.ninja. That's A-W-E, stands for Art, Wellness, Enlightenment, um, dot N-I-N-J-A. And that includes a pretty good introduction. Um, I have um, a, a newer book that's out on sexuality that I haven't put in there, grounded in the myth of Eros and Psyche that I think taps into a lot of these ideas as well. Uh, and I'm intending to write a book on my own psychedelic experiences too. Uh, so that's just now being put together. Stay tuned for that. Can't wait for that one. That's gonna be great. Fantastic. Well, as always, Haley, it's such a pleasure. Um, yeah, I just love even just having these conversations with you. It's great to see your face and uh, to be in your energy as always. And thank you again for coming on to uh, discussions of music, healing and consciousness. So we will uh, we'll end off this part of the interview for those watching and listening. We're going to come back, Bill and myself, to dissect the wise words of Dr. Haley Fox. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. We are back. We are back. We never left. We never did leave. (laughs) So uh, a little setup on this. I was in a conversation two weeks ago about music and psychedelics. And in the room, there were people from the shamanic traditions, the indigenous traditions, as well as people from the, uh, the educated professions. So we had some clinical uh, psychologists in there. And the topic of the Johns Hopkins playlist came up, right? We were talking about clinical trials for psychedelics and how important it is to like control the environment so that you have ab- sort of a, a, a better <laughs> understanding of what the outlying circumstances might be and how music was being used to do that, at least in the Johns Hopkins trials. <clears throat> and I'm hearing this and I'm thinking, okay, The first question that I have is that thanks to music therapy and the research that's been done, as well as all of the incredible experience of people who've been playing music in real life for other people as an audience, right, for a long time, um, we know, science has identified, that the most powerful music for any individual is the music that they love. Now that's great if you're going to a concert, like if you're able to hear the Beatles play again, right, you're there because you love their music. Somebody who doesn't love their music is not going to go to a concert full of music that they don't love. Pretty obvious, right? But we're talking about therapeutic music here. So getting right down to it, if you're going to suggest to anyone who's on a psychedelic journey and is very vulnerable that they should be hearing a particular music at a particular moment, to me, that sounds like that's contrary to the research. So that came up, right, in this conversation. And the psychologists were all about, no, we've got to you know, control the environment. Which leads to the next thing, which is, what, you're using music to control me, to manipulate me? How dare you? <laughs> right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Right? Which is exactly what our job is, man, as musicians. That's what we do. So I'm, you know, the, my jury's kind of out on this when it comes to during the experience. Now, we know with ayahuasca, there are ikaros that are very specific and they're used by shamans with spiritual purpose, right? So there's a, this, uh, this notion of having music that aligns with the psychedelic experience is very important in indigenous cultures. And it's becoming more important in ours, although we're sort of doing it, you know, with a sledgehammer. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> right? So um, that's all the lead up to this. Now, this being the moment when you all are in Adam's calendar in South Africa and Dr. Fox gets out her ceremonial flute and begins to play. Now at that moment, everything else disappears. 
the credentials disappear, the intention disappears, none of it matters. It's flute in this holy place. And for me, that's the money shot, right? That's the, that's the purpose of music, always. It doesn't matter how skilled the person playing the drum is. It doesn't matter, you know, if Ishtak Perlman is in the room playing the violin. <clears throat> that would be awesome, right? But I could probably get there with, you know, an Irish fiddle player in a pub and have the same transcendent experience. So where is all this going, right? I think Dr. Fox said it, and see if you agree with this. She just said play. And isn't well, that it, really it? You've always said that, Bill. It's like you don't work music, you play music. You know, this is this is all about getting back into our inner child, re reclaiming that part of our childhood that should never have really died off. But we have a crazy idea that when we become adults that we have to just kill off all these parts of our, of our, um, well, our, our childlike wonder and playfulness. And, uh, you know, I think, I think there's obviously aspects of becoming an adult that are inevitable and you need to embrace, but geez, you know, to take out the, the play, I mean, like, why in the heck are we alive if it's not to play in this, you know, this, this planet? And you're absolutely right. You know, all those things melt away when, when, you know, Haley, Dr. Fox was playing her beautiful flute in this area. And she's absolutely right. I mean, she really, she is not um, the kind of person that's like, look at me, I'm going to go play my flute right now. It's like, right, no, right. no, no, that's no. That's not what it's about at all. No. And I think that's also an important thing to note is the intention behind it, right? Like where yeah. is there an ego coming from behind this? And a lot of the times with some musicians, at least, you know, there's, there's usually, um, ego in, in, in many ways, whether it's like, oh, I'm awesome. So let me play how, like something that shows, showcases how great I am or the opposite, which is, um, you know, maybe they're so self-conscious because they're like, oh, uh, what do I play? Or I could play all these things and they overthink to a max and then it, it doesn't deliver what it needs to deliver. Regardless, there's, um, the, the, the real takeaway is that it's like letting all that stuff dissolve and just let it out. And as Haley, as Dr. Fox said, everyone's a musician, everyone's an artist. And it's, we need to embrace this side of this, this, it's a create, it's a creative side. You know, I have a lot of uh, friends that work, you know, in finance or engineers or something, and they'll, you know, they know I'm a musician. They're like, ah, oh, you know, Chris, it's, I'm just not a creative guy. That's, that's not why I couldn't, you know, I couldn't have done that because I'm just not creative. I'm like, that's BS, man. That's BS. Yeah. We're all creative. We're all creative. You're creative. <laughs> Are you kidding? An engineer, finance, that all takes creativity. It's just different types of creativity, but we're still using your right brain. And even forgetting the profession side of it, as, as human beings, we are absolutely creative. It's one of our defining um, differences that that, sh that that makes us human is our creativity. I mean, that's yeah. that's innate in all of us. So I think it's so important that we don't lose that, right? I think that this is something like a message uh, for those watching and listening, it's like, we really need to bring back this play, this, let's stop overthinking it. Just pick up an instrument, pick up a harmonica and blow into it. Breathe. <laughs> like, you know, slap around a handpan. You're not going to hit a wrong note. It's just, just play. I wonder sometimes of how much of credential therapy is about pull, pulling off all of the masks that prevent us from being able to play. We talk about inner child work and, and shadow work and stuff like this. The baby doesn't understand shadow work. And yes, it's completely integrated, you know. And if it had the ability to do something other than vocalize, it might do some really amazing things, as we've seen with some of these young kids, prodigious talent that exists, painting and performing music and dance and things like that that are incredible. And yet our entire education system is focused on something else, you know. We over-intellectualize these things, I think. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. And, and I, I feel a great sadness about that, Chris. You know, we, we work so hard on these things that are so apparently useful to us. And yet all we can do at the end of the day with technology is repeat. We don't innovate. We don't create. You know, the, the real ideas that we need uh, don't come from machines. And I think the real healing that we need is <laughs> is also not going to come from clinical protocols and whatever else. I mean, those things exist to help clinicians. They don't exist to help patients. 
you know, especially in the psychedelic realm, because when we were talking about them, I mean, we're using the word ineffable all the time because it is ineffable. We, how do you write a structured, you know, rubric and, and protocol system for something that is so unique and specific and into the individual, yeah. you know, uh, and like you said, with the music, right? Like it's the shaman would be coming around. Yes. They're using the same instrument perhaps with everybody, but they're playing it differently for the different people. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're reading the room, they're reading the energy of everyone and everyone's different. So they all need a slightly different approach. You can't, this idea of a curated playlist, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's absolutely, it's, it's certainly better than nothing I would say. And it's in, in cir certain circumstances, you're not going to be able to have a live musician or shaman with you. Okay, great. That let's bring in the playlist. Um, but even then, is it really that is, do you really need that? Or as you said at the beginning of, of the second half of this podcast here, is it, is it just about listening to the music you love? <laughs> is and, that and more powerful? If you love it, it's in there anyway. So not hearing it like audibly, you could still have the effect. I just remember the music and you're going to have that effect. Um, I love what Haley suggested about using music to or, or using art, but let's stay with music because that's what we're about here. But using music as a way of uh, recapturing and integrating post journey. Uh, I've been doing that most of my life. There's things that are ineffable. You can't explain something happened. It was profound. And music is the way that you explain it or integrate it, perhaps. I mean, I feel right. integration with music where I feel consciously, bodily, you know, I feel it coming in and minding me in a way that words don't. It's like it's um, a sonic, uh, like a sonic uh, integration, you know? Yeah, yeah. You're yeah, right. you get there through the through the eardrums or whatever, the feeling the vibrations, but something inside you responds to that. And well, it's all, it's also like, are you going to intellectualize the experience again after it's all happened? Where you sit down and again, this is nothing. There's nothing wrong with sitting down and trying to write these things yeah, out, journal like journal, journal. That that's great. Like do that too, of course. But or and something. Let's just use music as the artistic example. But of course, this could go far beyond just music is that equally as important as a part of the integration because now you can integrate the things you can't put into words you can't journal you can't journal all the things you experienced yeah. and that you I think that you felt too it's it's a lot of it like what did you feel in this experience you know there's lots of things that you experienced and that you thought in the experience but just as much as that you feel all of these things in the experience. So how do you how do you integrate the feelings? They, I don't know whether I want to call it a cure or not, but when you hear about people whose post-traumatic stress or alcoholism is completely blown away by a psychedelic experience, isn't that in fact a form of integration where something that was important to you, alcohol, after the psychedelic experience, all of a sudden, loses its importance and the need for it disappears as you've integrated what you now know of yourself in that psychedelic way that is ineffable. And there yet, here we have science trying to explain, well, this because of this and because of that, and these actually, whatever, neuro, wow, and neuroscience gets involved and pretty soon it's like this whole jumble of stuff explaining what happened. Who cares? It happened. Do more of that. <laughs> it's like we've got to focus on the results a bit more than the whole process and how do we dissect and replicate that result. And I know that's how we work with science and, right. and that's the beauty of science. And I, I we're both lovers of science here. We, we appreciate that, understand that. Yeah. And it's, this is where science just, I don't think it can properly. It completely falls this, apart. Well, because now we're getting into the bridge of science and spirituality and right. just like the, the physical and the non-physical and you know, we, I think why not have both then? Like, so you have the, the intellectualizing uh, integration method of like, let's say journaling or talking it through, which is very valid. I've oh, done sure, it many yeah. times and I, and I need that. It's important. And what else are we doing to integrate that, you know, experience that, that psychedelic experience or just that, whatever it was, mystical experience that you don't even need psychedelics necessarily to have a profound experience, but to integrate it is it sitting down at a piano and just playing the white keys? Even if you don't know how to play, you can make nice sounds. We could just play the white keys or something uh, funky. Then yes, pentatonic for musicians, probably more interesting than a C major. 
But for anyone who's just a beginner, I've recommended to my friends, like, look, you can't go wrong if you just play the white keys or conversely, just play the black keys. Or like Haley said, open tuning guitar, pick up a, a tambourine, blow into a harmonica, whatever the heck you want to do. But that side of it can help integrate the non-physical, the spiritual, the ineffable, right? Yes. Maybe that's what we need to start looking into. And is there going to be a specific protocol to do? No, I think it should be suggestions. Experience. That would be nice, right? But how, I, yeah, this is where science, I'm like, I, are they ever going to find the the perfect magic bullet, like the, the perfect formula for this? I don't think so. It's individual. It's, uh, there's a lot that science can learn from, particularly from the performing arts in this. Because in the performance, it's all about creating the container. How the audience responds to that is completely individual. And rather than trying to control the response of everyone in the room so that you get a 90% response based on what you did on stage, the, the more skillful way <laughs> is to treat the experience ceremonially and allow everyone to have their own response. And I laugh about this all the time. You know, go to the symphony. You'll see a bunch of people falling asleep. A bunch of people are following along intently. It's okay. It's all a response. It's not like anybody failed to attend the symphony. They were there. And whether you're awake or asleep, it, the music gets into you at the level that you're ready to receive. And maybe it makes a change for you. Maybe you have the most profound five minutes of rest that you've had in your entire week during that concert. Take the same. It goes the same for a rave. Some people are going to just have an incredible experience to rave. Some aren't. Okay, doesn't mean the rave was bad, but the intention was there, right? And where science has a lot of trouble is with intention because it's one of the most powerful flipping things that we can bring to an experience. You can show up resistant, and that's going to be a completely different kind of intention than if you show up open, right? Just so, you know careful of your intention when you're involved in something allow that to be maybe more childlike perhaps but showing up with a checklist <laughs> you know like we used to do in music school right you go to the you hear a piece of music and there's like 18 things that you need to pay attention to as you're hearing that <clears throat> well that's useful for an academic thing but it's not useful for changing the spiritual experience of it that's going to happen one way or the other like the opera singer who shows up on stage and plants themselves. <laughs> I worked with an opera singer and she was the opposite of that, right? She acted the part and we changed it up and she came in like modern costumes to do the 15 different arias that she sang in a performance. Each one was different and offered expression and, and went into the audience and interacted with people. Like it's, this is- uh, That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> that's yeah. the kind of change up that we need around whatever the experience is, whatever the artistic experience that we're having. Like Dr. Fox was talking about the difference between the art that was done with the sex offenders uh, that was clinician guided versus individual. That's powerful. I'm not saying that either one is better. I'm just saying that it's powerful to know that that difference exists and that the guidance that you can get to unpack your stuff uh, using the arts, using music is profound. Oh in ways that can change you it's ceremonially profound the shamans are around and have been for so many thousands of years for a reason right yeah you know that guidance is um when it's oh dude even the... when they're not there like it, when you were at adam's calendar right the energy of that space unpacked this offering to you yes and everyone felt it right from the moment you went in the circle i'm getting chills right now just thinking about what that might actually meets me too <laughs> right? it was it was absolutely magical it was it was magical but you know to to add on to your point of, in, of intention which is so important there is some science that can actually back that up funny enough you know i just came across um the experiment of the random number generator and where pe humans people were put into these um experiments to influence a random number generator basically it's a machine that just picks one zero or one zero or one zero like it's going to be one or zero one or zero and it's going to be completely random and the thing at the end of the day is like they'll, they'll do the numbers let's say they'll run them 100 times 50 of them will be one 50 of them will be zero but they'll be in a completely random order and then they bring in a human and the human thinks and puts an intention of i'm going to think of the number one i'm going to think of the number one and i'm only going to think of the number one i'm going to intend on that random number generator generating more ones and zeros, guess what happens? More ones More than ones. zeros. 
are, are generated. So case in point, the intention is so, so, so important. And like you said, it's, you know, what are you coming into these experiences with, you know, and, it, and there's also probably a happy balance there though, too. Cause like you said, if you, if you come into an experience with 15,000 different intentions, yeah, <laughs> maybe we're going to get a little too unfocused in this experience, Watch right? We can run people. Let's exactly, focus. exactly. So we might want to simply, simply, you know, simplify it a bit, but to have that intention and to, even if it's literally to come in and be like, um, I'm open, I'm open. Let's just, let's see what happens. Yeah. Then that's your intention. That's an intention, right? Just to be curious. This intentional thing is so profound and it's, there's a, there's a fight, right? Because we have to demonstrate it with baby steps, like influencing ones and zeros in a random number generator. Uh, machines are pretty easy to influence. Remarkably enough, there's, a, there's lots of study on that molecular stuff pretty easy to influence. They can make all kinds of interesting shapes out of random dust on a plate, right, with vibration. But this has been going on for a long, long time. I mean, we have, uh, I don't want to say evidence. We have anecdotal evidence, let's say, of uh, shamanic healing and um, spooky action at a distance. And our modern yep. age, spiritual healing is, is profoundly um, verifiable. So we're using this on you know, way more than just a, a computer. We're actually able to do stuff on our own systems and remotely on the systems of people who we are not anywhere near. We're able to have that influence. That's a healing influence. It's it's truly amazing. The monks chant, uh, the monks praying over the stock market. I mean, it, we got lots of evidence of this stuff, you know, and some of it's a little weird, but some of it is actually documented and, and verified by science. 100%, you know, and interestingly too, it's, it really is that individual experience because Dr. Fox was, when she was playing that flute in Adam's calendar, obviously she was playing one, like a continuous idea, but it was the same thing that all of us heard yet. We all had profoundly different experiences yeah. and sharing some of those after we heard, I mean, night and day, completely different experiences, memories, um, visions, communications, and so, so individual to, to the person, to, to their experience and to their life and that exact time and space. Yet the music was the same. It just always goes back to one that it's, it is very individual. So this whole one size fits all approach to anything. I think we, we, when you look, we look at the, uh, the arts and the music therapies and um, the psychedelic therapies, I, I don't think there is a one size fits all. And then at the same, and then on top of that, it's um it's it's not only individual but it is it's profoundly augmented by by the music at the same time and you know you can't underestimate the power and the magic that comes from these things that maybe science will never get to explain that's fine because can we know. tackle one aspect of what you just said because sure it it, it came up for me last night we've been watching the star wars uh saga Nice. And what I hear is uh, never underestimate the power of the dark side. So there's this judgment that we have about things that we don't like. Fear and anger being the ones that are played in the Star Wars saga. And yes, I agree that letting fear and anger run away with you is probably not a great thing. However, in the psychological research, there's plenty of evidence theoretical as well as practical that learning to transform fear, learning to transform anger results in incredible power for good. So lest our, lest our audience think that we're talking about woo-woo, crazy, you know, dark energy here, let's, let's just clarify this because it's energy that we're talking about and our intention to use that energy is very important. Um, how we intend fear is very important. How we intend anger is very important. It can be destructive, but it also can be uh, incredible. And if you doubt any of this, just put on the music to like the movie Psycho. <clears throat> you are right, the, the shower knife scene. You're, you're easily able to feel something but it's not happening to you. You get the you get a sense of detachment from it, and your intention around hearing it 
can change because you're able to have some distance, I guess, in, in that. And when you, can, when you learn how to use and manipulate that distance, you can use it for yourself next time you're in a scary situation. Please don't ever go into a shower with a, you know, <laughs> knife-wielding psycho killer. Big, big disclaimer. <laughs> Just in case that needs to be said, but we're in the age of disclaimer. Just in case. Yeah. So, so, um, and I know there are people out there that just have a fear of psychedelics, and it's a it's a valid one. If you haven't experienced it, right, it's it's important. They're it, powerful. Respect power. those medicines for sure. And, uh, in our own world, there are people who have a fear of uh, like death metal. There's there's music genres of music that just make people um, uncomfortable. Some of that music might be related to shamanic ritual when it comes to psychedelics. Some of it might be just what you hear, you know, in, in the world these days. Um, there's a lot of fear of rap out there. So how do we address the healing power of this music in a skillful way that, is, that, that lets us sort of change it, refocus our intention around the music? You know what I'm saying? As a tool, how would we, how would we offer that to people? That's a great question, right? And I think um, I think that's kind of like the pursuit. And certainly, for I would I would imagine for the 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 whole area of music therapy, you know, is how can we use this massive array of genres of music, experiences of music, uh, performances of music, all these different things? Um, how can we use those to, in a way, like alchemize? all the sides of ourselves, yes. you know, positive emotions are easy, right. But negative emotions are just as important because they, they tell us a lot about what's going on, you know, in, within us. And it's like a GPS system, it, even though they're a lot harder to look at when you can get more accustomed to looking at your, uh, your shadow self, right. If you're looking about like Carl Jung or just, you know, the dark side, like, uh, like star Wars, it's really powerful to, to get to get more familiar with that with that part of yourself and maybe using music might be a great tool to start to start you know tiptoeing into that area you don't have to jump headfirst in and maybe you do if you want if you're that kind of person too I, I kind of usually am like that but um however you want to get into it you know music could be a wonderful tool to help you do that so if there is a type of music that really sets you on edge maybe test that out and see like well why does heavy metal punk death metal or i don't know jazz maybe you can really rub some people the wrong way for a lot of different reasons uh, classical music for that matter whatever it is you know maybe experiment with that see see why why is it doing that and, and why is it bringing up these let's say darker side darker parts of yourself because there's information there you know it's not just happening for no reason whatsoever there's a reason for it so it's actually kind of you know probably quite beneficial to figure that out you know and Music could be a nice uh, gateway in a way that could be a lot less potentially harmful than maybe some other gateways oh, <laughs> into sure, that yeah. realm. I mean, treat it like a treat it like any intentional journey, whether psychedelic or not. Listen to an entire Mahler symphony, whatever does it, you know, and then journal mm. and and see what came out of that for you. Or if you happen to be working with a therapist, ask for guidance on this. Right, get some expert help. There are people out there that can help. Doesn't have to be a music therapist. But just say, hey, you know, heard this crazy podcast, a couple of guys talking about using dark music to, you know, figure out what's going on inside me. Uh, therapist, what do you think of that? Can you offer me some guidance? And, you know, and see what you get, because there are lots of ways in on this. Uh, and it's not too late. <laughs> and, you know, it's not too late. And it's, I'm just going to add on to that, Bill. You gave me an idea. It's like you can also use the opposite with music too, to to go into some scary areas of your psyche and of your memories and traumas and all that stuff you, you can use really soothing music that can act as like a, a big hug, a warm blanket of yeah. sound mm -hmm. to really ease you in like a, like a, like a hot bath, you know, and just allow yourself that safety in a, in a sonic kind of way. Music can make you feel very safe, especially depending on the music and you, the audience would know that far better than Bill or myself, what would work. We could give you some general ideas, but like we've been saying, it's so individual. So you know what songs and what, what music will will bring you a lot of peace and, and comfort. So maybe sometimes if you're going to go into these darker areas of yourself, and, and we all should, you know, it's really important work to do. Shadow work's phenomenal. And actually that darkness is is where a lot of power lies for ourselves. And you can when you can alchemize that, whew, 
book out, you know, you're a force to be reckoned with. And yeah, maybe use music as, as that, um, yeah, that like that, not that life jacket, but you know, the, like a nice bath. I'll go back to the warm bath analogy, you know, just soak into it. You're suggesting in in a way then to, to, to program your intention in a playlist, like set up your playlist with some dark stuff that you want to process and then follow that with some light stuff, the stuff that, that gets you back, you know, brings you back to ground. Yeah. Once you re-inhabit the, the you that you love, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just see where that goes. I'm not a therapist, happened to be a musician who has <laughs> programmed concerts this way for over 50 years now. So um, does it work? Well, it's a great ride but your experience is your experience and it's going to be different than mine. Right. Even, yeah. in, even as good a job as Chris and I try to do to manipulate the audience. Right. <laughs> uh, it's still personal for you. And thankfully there's so much music available right now that it's easy to do this and whether you use YouTube or whatever Google does, whatever Apple has, Spotify, it doesn't matter. Uh, programming yourself a little experimental playlist with your intention might be an interesting way to get involved in art therapy while you look for an art therapist. Just like Dr. Fox, you know, I, I would love to hear from uh, our audience, you know, let us know in uh, whether it's reaching out to us through our emails that you'll see in the show notes, or if you're listening to us on a platform where you can add comments like YouTube, etc. leave us a comment, let us know what you, what you think. And also what you've experienced what are your individual musical uh, or artistic for that experiences when it comes to diving down to these uh parts of our psyche good and bad light and dark positive and negative let us know what do you think and and what have you found helps and works because everyone is different and we can all learn together and get a whole uh, plethora of of different um modalities types of music just approaches that we can all learn and grow together with so let us know we'd love to hear from you Oh, yeah. Your journey might inspire somebody who has never done that before. And your experience could be the thing that gets them off the dime, gets them running on their particular uh, evolution or healing or whatever it is. Yep. You have no idea the impact we all make just by literally living and breathing on this planet. We don't have to be billionaires to change the world or influencers, celebrities, like literally are as cheesy as this sounds, but you know our frequency and our vibration is more than enough it ripples that words just like dropping a pebble in a pond and you know your little bits of uh experience that you can share with us could really make a huge difference for somebody else halfway across the world you never know so uh yeah let us know and thank you for joining us today on this uh exciting podcast that we'll be doing more of these interviews as we progress here with the podcast of you know discussions of music healing and consciousness and uh bill i just want to say thanks for being on this crazy and beautiful ride with me on this podcast yeah. it's been a real pleasure my friend it's been a real ple- pleasure Likewise. so thank you everyone for listening and uh we look forward to seeing you on the next episode